This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, everybody, it's Lon Seidman, and it's time once again for your weekly wrap-up. And I've got a bunch of topics to talk to you about today, including two or three updates uh, from last week, including my LG Blu-ray player debacle, Uh, a temporary solution to uploading my snippet videos to multiple places, given my limited bandwidth here, Uh, trigger words and your favorite uh, voice assistants and how I'm going to handle them moving forward. We're also going to talk about Fortnite, forcing people to sideload the game onto their Android devices, Wisecam and how they make money. Those are those cheap $20 security cameras we reviewed here before. And we're going to also discuss life with 32 gigabytes on Windows and why it's a complete nightmare these days. And we'll talk about, not necessarily doing, uh, but talking about the date in which we upload this video. So lots to talk about and let's get to it. I want to begin first, though, by thanking our newest members here on the channel. And all of these folks were people who contributed via Super Chat in my last live stream. That's Amir Jubran, Fernie Lopez, Maddie Matt 3078 Asti Fu, and Steve Steve. These are their YouTube names. So some of them may already be contributing in other areas. But I want to thank everyone who participated in that last live stream and everyone who's been supporting the channel on a regular basis and everyone who's been watching on a regular basis, too, because all of those things equal channel growth. And this week's wrap-up is being brought to you by Plex, my favorite media-serving application. We've been covering Plex, of course, in extensive detail here on the channel over the last couple of years. And what it does is it lets you uh, install a server on an extra computer or on a network-attached storage device or an NVIDIA Shield, for example. And then you can take all the media that you have in your possession, like movies, music, TV shows, and then distribute that media to all of your mobile devices. And what's cool about Plex is that It will resize the media on the fly to accommodate the platform that you're viewing on. So it's a universal viewer and that you don't have to worry about keeping different versions of media for different things. Plex will just resize it as necessary if it needs to do that. Plex is free to use. You can download it and get started without having to pay a dime. Uh, But if you want more advanced features, you can get the Plex Pass, which gives you DVR for live TV and live TV recording, mobile syncing, so you can download your media for offline viewing if you're hitting the road and and are going to be away from an internet connection. You get free Plex apps across every platform, early access to new features, and a lot more. You can find out more at the links that you see there. Plex Gift will allow you to gift it to somebody else if you've got somebody in your life that doesn't have a Plex Pass that you think needs one. And they just updated their podcast feature this month, so you can now Uh, First of all, download your entire subscription list from another uh, podcasting application via OPML. So they have that capability now. Uh, They've also added offline support for podcast uh, listening, which was something I was hoping would get there eventually. It's now uh, there and operative. So they've got a really decent uh, podcast client now that you can use to uh, maybe replace another app that you might be using. And it will sync up your bookmarks and your subscriptions across everything that you listen to Plex on. So it's just another reason not to leave the Plex app when you're consuming your media. 
So let's take a look now at the week in review. On the Extras channel, we unbox the GPD Win 2. That'll be coming up this week. Uh, we also unbox the 8-Bit Dough Mod Kits that I did a live stream on, and a full review will be coming up this week as well. And we unboxed and took apart the Asus VivoBook S14 to see what you could do to upgrade it. And that review, of course, posted up on Friday. So that's all the stuff we did on the Extras channel. On the main channel, we had that review of the Asus device. Uh, we also did the live stream of the mod kit installation. This was a fun project because it's a mod that I can do because there's no soldering involved or anything else that can uh, release magic smoke. It was actually a very simple process, more or less, and you can see uh, the entire thing from start to finish there. In fact, what I was doing in that live stream was kind of all the evaluation that I usually do for a product. So I was able to include you in that process a little bit. We did have some trouble with the live stream due to uh, Comcast here where I live. As I always talk about, I have no choices in internet providers, so I get what I get, unfortunately. So this got broken up into uh, three different uh, live streams, essentially. So I'll uh, link them all in the master playlist so you can find that if you want to watch it from start to finish. It took about two hours or so. Uh, we also did a review of the Acer Spin 1, which is a lower cost uh, two-in-one with an Apollo Lake CPU, uh, but it was crippled by its lack of storage, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. And we took a look at the new grid view on Plex as part of our monthly sponsored video for Plex. And uh, that new feature is rolling out across many different platforms. They just added it to Android TV. So if you're using an NVIDIA Shield, this grid view is now available to you on the Shield. It wasn't when I recorded the video, but it happened the day after. So uh, that's what usually happens here when I get ahead on my schedule here. But you can check it out in the Master Playlist link down below. And now it's time for a couple of things that are on my mind. And this is week 75 of me doing this as a full-time occupation. And we had another live stream. I think I've done more in the last month than I've done in probably the last year. So uh, that was good, good and fun to do. And it was a really good compatible thing to what I've been envisioning for our live streams where I actually do something. We've got a topic to explore and we do it. Uh, we had good viewership on this one, about 110 or so at the peak, uh, which was good for my channel. So that was kind of fun to see. Uh, that one we did at 11 a.m. Friday uh, here in the United States. So you can do the, the math and figure out what time it was where you were. There is no time that works for everybody, unfortunately, because when I did ask, a lot of you, because you're all over the world, came back with different times. So I'm going to just experiment uh, with different times on these live streams based on what my schedule is looking like. But for me, 11 a.m. on Friday is a really good time to do these just because I have a lot of my uh, week already finished and uh, it was good to uh, be able to not be stressed as I was putting all this stuff together. Of course, though, the stress was my internet connection at that point. Uh, but I've got a pretty good solution down now. I can hit a button and just go live. And then uh, if I get more upstream bandwidth eventually, which I'm supposed to be getting soon, uh, what I probably will do is maybe simulcast across multiple platforms. So maybe I'll put it up on Facebook and Twitch at the same time I'm doing YouTube just to see what happens. I got a box that can do all three, so why not, right? Uh, so let me know what you think down in the comments below. And I've got an update from last week on my LG Blu-ray burner. Uh, just to recap, I was complaining about the customer service process of bringing this thing back in for repair. So what happened was, was the drive stopped mounting discs. When I put a disc in the drive, it wouldn't read. Uh, on the computer, even if it was a disk that was not blank. It just was not coming up. And apparently this might be a wider spread issue. I've had a few people comment on my unboxing video on the Extras channel about this thing to say that they had 
similar issues with theirs. It took uh, no less than three tickets with customer service to get the label. When the label showed up, I sent the drive in, and two weeks later, or maybe a week later, whatever, uh, this thing comes back, a DVD writer. At least that's what I thought it was, because that's what the box said. Uh, so I you know, tweeted uh, LG support, and they told me to pick up the phone and call somebody, which I thought was a cop-out. Customer service should serve the customers, right? Uh, so finally, somebody did email me back after I filed a fourth ticket with them. And apparently what happened is that they were sending out the replacement drives in these Blu-ray burner boxes or DVD writer boxes because they had extras, apparently. So uh, this, in fact, is the proper drive. It's the Blu-ray burner, but they put it in the wrong box when they sent it back to me again, probably because they had extras of these and they figured they would do that. But you would think maybe somebody would put a note in the box to say, don't freak out, it's the right thing, just open the box. But no, they didn't do that. Now, yes, I could have opened the box to make sure that it was, uh, in fact, what was labeled there. But you know what? I didn't want to risk you know, violating a warranty or other things. So I uh, basically had this thing for the last two weeks and didn't know it. So that's it, all resolved, and we're good to go. And another thing I was complaining about last week was how hard it's been to get my snippet videos, portions of this video and a few others, uploaded to multiple social media platforms. So if you've been following the Facebook page, you've probably noticed we're doing a little bit more video on Facebook. We're also doing video on uh, the Snippets channel. We're doing some stuff on LinkedIn. So I'm putting my content out in more places, even Amazon Video I'm doing some stuff with now too, just because I want to be out there. And uh, there really isn't a very easy way to be out there as a video creator. I did try Sendable, which I talked about last week, but it doesn't work all that well. It wasn't reliably upgrade, uploading video to multiple places, and it really could only do uh, two of the five that I usually use, uh, namely Facebook and YouTube. But again, it failed miserably uh, during one of those scheduled uploads to the point where it just didn't feel reliable enough for me to be wasting my time on it. So what I did, uh, rather than keep trying to find more services that don't work, uh, is just spin up an instance on Amazon EC2, a Windows instance. And the reason why we're doing this is because I am just resigned to the fact that we have to upload this stuff manually. And my biggest issue here, as I've talked about a few minutes ago, is that we don't have a lot of upstream bandwidth. The most I have is about 10 or 12 megabits per second. So if I'm sending up a couple of gigs of video to multiple places, uh, that's going to really take a lot of time here because it's just we just don't have a big pipe to be sending this video out over. So uh, what we're going to do is sync up the videos to this Windows instance in the cloud and then upload from the cloud. And this thing is actually working pretty nicely. This is their uh, almost the least expensive option there, 0.0162 cents per hour. Uh, so it costs maybe about 38 or 40 cents a day, and we're only using this when we need it. So I'm not having it just sitting there idle when we're not using it. I, I turn it off, and then we turn it back on when we need to get some stuff done. And it's actually been working pretty well. So check out how this works. I've got my uh, other Mac up here. I've got my remote desktop protocol application that I use. It's called Jump Desktop. On Windows, of course, you can use the RDP client, the remote desktop client, to access those machines. It's built right into Windows. And all I have to do here is just click on it. I've already put my password into this. And here we go. We've got ourselves Windows, but it's running in the cloud. And I can just load up Chrome here, for example. You can pretty much install whatever you want on this. Again, this particular instance doesn't have a lot of um, uh, horsepower to it. It's just, I think, a single CPU and 
a gig of RAM. But what really matters to me is the bandwidth. So here is a Google speed test, and you can see uh, the downstream is less than I have here. Actually, it's a little bit more than I have here now that I look at it, about 470 megabits per second or so. But look at the upstream here as we're going. So we're pretty much approaching half a gigabit upstream, uh, which means that we can get those videos distributed a lot quicker. And part of what uh, the challenge has been with some of these things that we upload to is that if we upload and walk away, uh, it might time out on us and we have to upload all over again. So this is really going to solve some problems. We can get those videos parked up there. We can log into this, get them uploaded quicker, uh, and kind of sync up the videos overnight. So what our plan is here is to finish up the wrap-up, snippetize it, put it into Google Drive, have it sync up overnight, and then in the morning when we come in to distribute the stuff, it's already there, off it goes, and I think that will uh, solve some problems. It would still be nice to have something that I can schedule in one place, but I don't think that's going to happen because these APIs, the social media platforms use, just never work right. Uh, so I think the best way to get it done is to go to the source, and I'd rather pay somebody to do it than pay a service that doesn't work. So uh, that's what we're going to do. Pretty cool stuff, the Amazon EC2 thing here, and uh, this is a full-blown Windows installation. They even have, this is kind of cool, uh, they even have instances that you can spin up with GPUs on board. So you can actually go in, I tried this, uh, you can go in with Steam, uh, download your Steam games to this and stream them from the Amazon cloud to yourself. It costs a lot more, uh, but it's an option that you have available to you that if you don't have a very beefy uh, gaming PC and want to do something like that, you can go in and play with it. And one of the live streams we're going to be doing in the near future is about Parsec, which is a great little app that you can use to actually stream from uh, those Amazon instances or from your own PC. Uh, and I was able to get that working with uh, Parsec and the Amazon EC2 system. So pretty cool stuff. These things are out there. You can just click a couple buttons, put your credit card in, and spin them up. And if you don't have a lot of needs, you can run a Windows server for yourself for about 38 cents a day. There is some storage fees associated with it, too. Uh, for my purposes, I'm maybe spending, you know, maybe a dollar or so a month for the storage of the instance. So really not that expensive for accomplishing what we want to accomplish here. Oh, and there's one more cost component to this, which is the data going going out from this instance. Uh, so we pay nothing for the first gigabyte uploaded, so that'll probably get us through the first week of the month. And then after that, uh, we're looking at about nine cents per gig after that, up to nine terabytes, and then the price kind of goes down from there. So there's a little bit of a cost premium on the data transfer out, but uh, overall it's not bad and it will solve a problem because I can pay uh, Amazon for faster uploads or I can pay somebody more to sit here and watch it, and I think the upload cost is a little bit less than the idle time of my uh, devoted hourly staff here. Uh, next item is no more hey you know what. Uh, I heard you all loud and clear from last week's video that you want me to edit out when I say the trigger word on these future smart speaker reviews, so we'll be doing that. Uh, with all the time we're saving on video uploading, I think we could probably handle that now, so thank you all for your feedback on that. And now it's time for some things in the news that caught my eye, and this one is something of concern, at least for me, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Fortnite for Android is going to require that everyone who installs it to sideload the app from Epic Games. In other words, you're not going to be able to find this on the Google Play Store. You have to go and disable the uh, security controls on your phone, go to Epic, download the game, and then 
uh, install it manually, and that is something that Epic is doing to avoid having to give Google 30% of the revenue that their app generates on the platform. So, of course, the uh, Fortnite app is available on iOS, and they're paying Apple 30% of the uh, gazillions of dollars that they're making with this game right now. It's amazing how much people are paying for stuff in this game, and it doesn't impact the gameplay, which I think is great, by the way, that you have a free game. Uh, it's a good game that's very uh, much sustainable as a free app. They've done a very good job in doing that without exploiting players, and it looks like people will pay if they have the opportunity to do so. But here's my issue with this, and we saw this kind of with Pokemon Go a little bit too, is that when you have something that is the most popular game ever, uh, undoubtedly there will be people who try to take advantage of the fact that it is the most popular game ever and trick people into downloading what they think is the real app. I can see a lot of parents being asked to download the app for their kids. They Google it, they type in the wrong thing, they go to the site that looks legit, they download the app and suddenly it's now infested with malware or it is the actual game with something else added on as a payload. Uh, there's a lot of bad things that can happen here, especially if this works and other developers decide to do the same thing and everybody just starts turning off all the security controls on their phones. Now, people who watch this show, I think we're all pretty good about this. We know what we're doing when we do disable those commands, but I think a lot of general consumers do not. And I think this is going to be a bonanza for malware uh, on the an Android platform. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Pokemon Go had a similar issue where people were trying to install Pokemon Go on a phone that wasn't supported in its specification list but could still run it. So they were, they were of course, going and finding uh, APK files on other websites to sideload the game on there. And there was a ton of bad things that happened as a result of that. Uh, we're still seeing that now with Netflix and apps that look like Netflix but really aren't for devices that don't support Netflix directly. So, again, this is going to be, I think, the start of something bad. Uh, but I would love to get your thoughts on it down in the comments below. And now it's time for a Q&A from you, the viewers. And our first question comes in from Robert Mayberry about the Wise security cameras. That's what this thing is right here. Uh, they cost about $20 each, and they have a very robust app uh, and actually some really good functionality with no monthly fees at all. Uh, they even have the ability to record locally onto an SD card on the bottom and access that remotely via their app. So they have some services they have to maintain, and they're not charging for any of this. And he's wondering, what the heck? How are they able to do this? And I've been wondering the same thing, to be honest with you. So I'm going to show you some stuff. I don't, I'm not going to pass judgment here one way or the other, but I think this is how their business model is operating. Now, the first thing is that the camera they're using, and I'll put mine back up on screen here, this is the Wise camera, and this is a Xiaomi camera that uh, you can find on many of these import websites. And what they decided to do when they launched their product was not to reinvent the wheel. They found an existing piece of hardware that includes all of the firmware inside of it, and they basically made it their own as opposed to having to go through the expense of designing something from scratch. So they have no hardware development costs here at all. I would imagine some of the underlying guts of the firmware are very similar too, and that obviously cut down on a tremendous amount of expense for them. Uh, and the same can be said of their uh, pan tilt zoom camera. This was also a Xiaomi design that they uh, incorporated their own firmware into, so they didn't have to design this one either. So they didn't have to pay a dime for hardware development, which can often be a big chunk of releasing a product to market. And the other thing that they are bringing to this space is experience in how to sell products. And that was what was really interesting to me. You can read this uh, interview I have up on screen here from Starter Story. The founders of this company 
are all former Amazon employees, and they were looking from the inside as to how products kind of bubble up to the top of consumers' minds on that platform. Because what Amazon is very good at is knowing what a good product is. They can look at how it's selling. They can also look at the organic reviews that product is getting from people who buy the product. And they can also see how often that product is returned and what the negative customer experiences are. And of course, Amazon's algorithm, a lot like YouTube, will put the good stuff up higher in a search result than they will the bad stuff. And I think they probably witnessed this over and over again, where products without a lot of name recognition or without a lot of brand recognition with very little marketing can basically build up a recognizable brand on the Amazon platform because there are just so many consumers on it buying stuff. And I experienced this firsthand at my last job uh, where I was responsible, among other things, for managing the Amazon account. And we had a product that you know, sold a couple of cases here or there with them initially. But over time, as you know, Amazon got more experience with our product and the fact that we could deliver it to them on time, the fact that the product was always consistent, uh, we suddenly started seeing those sales increasing. And we ended up going, when I left, uh, selling thousands of cases a month, uh, which was pretty remarkable just to see how that all developed organically uh, with practically zero spent in marketing to get there. And I think that's the experience they're coming with. They know how things get discovered on the platform and figured out what consumers are looking for. And I think they picked the right category here to play with because I've been looking at security cameras for a long time. Uh, for a while, D-Link was kind of the one to get. It wasn't the easiest thing to use, but it was the least expensive. But even those now are still up there in price, and the software hasn't really caught up. I just got one in a few weeks ago. Uh, it's going to be on a didn't-make-the-cut video. I do plan on making at some point in the near future. So it really is not a good place to be as a consumer. And that's one of the things that I really liked about uh, these wise cams is that they really offered the feature set I was looking for without the long-term cost of ownership that all these subscription fees that these products tend to tack onto their price often deliver. And we'll see if they can maintain this though. So what they do say in the interview is that the business structure is completely on a low margin, high volume model. They're kind of working in this commodity space here. So I think as long as they keep selling cameras, they'll keep being able to stay afloat. It looks like they're going to be rolling the cash flow as they go here. And uh, perhaps to some degree, it's good that you can modify these because they can still sell the cameras and get them out there and not have to support them with their uh, cloud services and whatnot. And out of all the things that I have in my affiliate links for Amazon, the top seller by far are these cameras. I think in the last nine months or so, we've sold at least through my link, well over 100 of these things. And I'm seeing people like going in and buying four or five at a time because you can get your whole house done for the cost of one D-Link camera and have a better experience as a result. Now, this next set of questions comes off of our recent Acer laptop review. This is that Swift 2-in-1 uh, because it only came with 32 gigabytes of storage. It was a very nice machine. It had a lot of great features, had the pen built in, but that storage, what's up with that? And as Photo Lab guy here says, 32 gigabytes just isn't enough, period. It's a deal breaker. And the worst part about that machine we looked at is that you can't even upgrade the storage if you wanted to. They left the riser off the motherboard uh, to add in an M2 drive. So what's up with this? Why are they doing this? Well, we discussed this in the past that uh, if you want a cheap computer out in the marketplace and uh, want to keep that price under 200 bucks, you really got to make a cut somewhere. And if you want to provide nice hardware, the cut is usually with the Windows license. And Microsoft will give you a deal if you agree not to ship the computer with more than 32 gigabytes of storage. Otherwise, you're paying the full rent uh, for that license, which can add anywhere from 60 to to $100 or more 
uh, to the price tag. So that's why they ship with 32 gigabytes on board. But I don't think it's enough anymore. It's really getting to the point where I think a lot of consumers, the minute they install anything onto this computer, are going to be immediately out of space. Uh, you can use the SD card, but it's not as fast as the internal storage might be. It also isn't universally compatible either. Some apps just won't install on that card. As Windows updates come down, you often can't get those installed. And I had a friend who bought a laptop off of me just to run QuickBooks on. That was his only purpose in owning this computer. Uh, he was able to work with it just fine for a couple of weeks. And then uh, the storage became a problem. As these updates were downloading, they were filling up his storage. We did everything Microsoft suggested to get the storage under control. No matter what, we could not get enough storage on this thing to accommodate the updates. And for whatever reason, the feature that they offer so you can have the updates installed via the SD card, that didn't work either. We couldn't even reset the darn thing. I had to basically wipe it out from scratch, re-download the drivers. I spent hours just trying to get his computer back up uh, in operation. And what we ended up doing with this, this is one of these uh, HP laptops I looked at about two years ago. Uh, is we took a, a solid-state drive, and they had a CD-ROM slot in this computer that wasn't used. Uh, so we Velcroed it in there and just popped in a full-size SSD just to get that computer finally situated. And this is a big issue because I'm looking on the Microsoft support site here. Just did a little Google search here. Look at this, 11,200 results of people all asking and dealing with the exact same problems. And most of these things have been cropping up uh, since the anniversary update came out. Uh, and I can't even imagine the call volume that the manufacturers are getting from consumers who have computers that are just, just gummed up with update data. And the, um, the process of just getting these things cleaned up, clicking on this, going into this menu, cleaning it up here, going into this one, it's just an absolute mess. And I think they've got to either make it easier for customers to clean this stuff off or get these licensing restrictions under control because you could easily put 128 gigabytes on one of these $200 computers and not uh, exceed the price point here. And we're just at a point where I think Microsoft needs to, first of all, rethink about Windows in the first place and how they want to build their business model here, but also just make it easier for general consumers. I think this might drive more people to their competing Chromebooks than anything else, because if your experience is this bad, and you've got 11,000 people all posting the same question on the Microsoft help site here, something is wrong, and I don't think this actually gives people a good experience with Windows, uh, even at that price point. So who knows, but you're all right, and I'm gonna keep bringing it up as these things come in, that 32 gigabytes just is no longer enough and I hope that Microsoft reconsiders it. And the other thing here is I've got Windows Pro on my gaming computer over there, and I get spam from Microsoft popping up as notifications on a Windows license that I paid for. So what is it? If you're going to just offer the operating system, do it and put ads on it then if that's what you want to do. But really, it's getting to the point where even if you pay for the license, you're still being treated like you didn't. And I think they've really got to rethink their business model with Windows. Now, this next question comes in from David Hoffman and Grassy20, and it was funny that this came in when it did because I've been thinking about uh, the schedule of uploading here on the channel. And David and Grassy here both would like to see the wrap-up uh, get uploaded on a different day of the week other than Monday. So typically what I've been doing is uploading this video at 7 p.m. Eastern time in the United States on Monday night. That's been what I've been doing probably for the last... I don't know, two or three years or so. 
when the wrap-up first started, and I'll put a little overlay here so you can see what the first wrap-up looked like, I was doing them on Friday nights just to give people a, a little look back at what I had done during the week and then kind of look forward. And I started doing it specifically to reach out to subscribers because once I started seeing that I had a good number of subscribers, I wasn't really having any direct communication with them beyond the reviews that I was putting up and I wanted to fix that. So uh, that was how the wrap up came into being. And since then, it's gone from a five minute show to now this 30 minute monstrosity that it is today. And because it's so long, I don't know if Monday nights works the best. And I think I would, I would really like to look at uploading it on a different day, um, maybe Friday night, maybe Sunday. And I wanted to get some impact or some feedback from you on the impact of this. Uh, does Monday work for you? Uh, if it does, great, tell me. If it doesn't, let me know if maybe a weekend upload might make more sense for this. I look at what the GameSack guys do. They have a 30-minute show they upload every other week. Uh, they put it up Sunday morning here in the United States, which, of course, would be whatever time it is in your neck of the woods. Uh, and that seems to be working for them. They've got a long-form video. I think it, it works because people have time maybe Sunday morning to watch it. Uh, so that's kind of what I'm thinking here is moving this show to another day of the week. And in order to do that, we have to rearrange schedules here. So I wanted to get some feedback to hear uh, your thoughts on that. It would make my upload schedule easier because I could do a Monday Wednesday, Friday upload, and then have the wrap up there for Sunday morning. And that would give us, you know, three reviews during the week at least, and then uh, the wrap up on Sunday. So give me your thoughts on that down below in the video description or the comment section. And the other thing we're going to be working on as this uh, new feature rolls out from YouTube called uh, uh, Premieres uh, is starting to run the wrap up as a premiere. So if you haven't heard about this feature, I think it's actually one of the coolest things YouTube has done in a while. Twitch has the same thing. Twitch did it first. But what it will let us do is upload the wrap up and then it'll be uploaded and available to you at 7 p.m. like it usually is. But what it's going to do is replicate a live stream uh, where we can all be in chatting with each other uh, as that video runs out. So it'll be kind of a, uh, you know, a shared experience and I can be in there chatting with all of you. It'll look like a live stream, but in fact it won't be, but I'll be there in the chat room. And that's what we're going to do with the wrap up. Maybe not every week, but most weeks do that. Cause I think it'd be a really nice way to just continue this interaction that uh, this show gets. And I'm so excited for that feature. So hopefully it will get implemented soon. But again, I just wanted to get your thoughts on uh, what David and Grassy are saying here, because I was thinking the exact same thing this week, and I really wanted to look at potentially moving this date around. Now, our channel of the week this week is the Diary of an Arcade Employee podcast. This has been a lot of fun to listen to. Uh, what this is, is a guy that apparently works at a video game arcade somewhere that has a lot of retro 80s arcade titles, and they talk about maintaining them, first of all, uh, but also some of the history involving the game that they're talking about that week, including ports to home consoles and everything else, and they've got uh, 30 of these right now. It's part of the Retroist, which is another great podcast, so if you are interested in this kind of stuff, uh, check out the Diary of an Arcade Employee podcast. Lots of good stuff there. So this week, I've got another ambitious week that I may or may not be able to achieve in full, but I have, uh, I have good hopes here. So the first thing we're going to look at is the 8-Bit Dough Mod Kit uh, that I did the live stream of. I shot a review separate from the live stream to be more concise, so maybe less than an hour and a half. Uh, and what it does is it allows you to take your old NES controllers and replace the circuit board inside with a wireless circuit board. And this is what it'll look like when you're done. So this is a 30-year-old Nintendo controller. Uh, that has been modded, and you'll have a little nub here at the top for plugging in the charging cable, 
And this is now a wireless Bluetooth controller that works with my PC, the Android boxes, uh, works with the Nintendo Switch, and uh, works with some of the retro receiver devices that 8BitDo has put together for retro consoles. So I can actually use this original uh, NES controller wirelessly uh, with my original NES if I wanted to. So you're able to do that. I also modded uh, this one here. This is the uh, SNES Classic Edition controller. They've got a kit for that also. Uh, and I was able to get that controller modded up too. So if you like the original Nintendo hardware but want more flexibility or want to be able to use this controller on another platform, uh, there you go. Good stuff, and I've done a full review that I have to finish editing because there's a lot of uh, B-roll cutaways on this one, so stay tuned. Uh, that one will be coming up a little bit later this week for these wireless controllers there. Uh, we're also going to be taking a look at uh, what appears to be a uh, certified uh, Android TV box that costs $60. And this is from MeCool. It came in from GearBest. You can probably find an unboxing of this on the Extras channel by the time this video makes it up to the interweb tonight. And this has an Ethernet port built into it, so it might be a little better than the Mi Box. And at 60 bucks, if it is the real deal Android TV, may not be such a bad deal. Supports 4K, supposedly, and also supposedly uh, supports uh, Chromecasting, too. So we'll see if all that works in the full review that you'll see a little later this week. I know a lot of you are into these cheap boxes, so we're going to make that one a priority. And another thing I really want to get going this week is the review of the GPD Win 2. Uh, so a little later this afternoon, Corey is going to spend some time playing a bunch of PC games on this thing to see what can and can't run. I can tell you right off the bat here that the performance is a lot better than the prior edition GPD win, uh, but it is an Intel-based GPU on this one, so we'll see where the limitations are, but so far, so good. Uh, pretty cool little device, so you'll be seeing more of that. And I think probably this week we're not going to see this, but if I get it done, we will. Uh, the PTZ optics camera, I've now got a lot of experience with it and have a good feel for it. So we're probably going to do uh, some production stuff probably next week with the camera, with NDI. And I also got in a pair of inexpensive wireless microphones, too. So we might do a production week next week and just cover a bunch of that stuff. I really need to get this stuff done. It's been on my to-do list for a while. Uh, so hopefully we'll get all of that going for you. Now, if you want to support the channel, you can. You can go to lon.tv support and make a monthly or one-time contribution to the channel. We still support Patreon as well. We also have our ongoing relationship with Plex, where if you sign up for a Plex account, no credit card required, we get a small commission. We get a slightly larger commission if you sign up for a Plex Pass or gift it to somebody else. We also have other channels that you can find me on. My Extras channel has supplementary content and unboxings and mini reviews of things that don't really warrant a full review on the main channel. We have my podcast feed, which is an audio version of this show, in addition to some interviews and stuff. And we're going to be having an interview that I'm shooting hopefully this week with a, a friend of mine who's a college professor teaching social media. I thought it might be a fun topic to uh, learn about how you teach this stuff when we're kind of in the middle of its development. And I was a, a communications major in college, and he's actually working at my alma mater now. So he's working with a lot of the professors that taught me about mass communications 20 years ago. So we'll kind of explore the challenges of understanding how media works in the 21st century. It's kind of a uh, you know, little policy wonkish kind of discussion, but I, I love this stuff. So we're going to have that as an interview uh, that we're going to be shooting hopefully this week if schedules continue to be working in our favor. And we have the Snippets channel, which is portions of this show that are re-uploaded to YouTube in a more search-friendly format. And then if you want to see the archive of my live streams, you can go to lon.tv slash live streams to see all of the live streams that we've done here on the channel. And I think 
Uh, this is one area I'm looking to develop more with, so I think we'll be seeing more things dropped in there. So if you miss one, uh, you can go there. I generally don't push out the live streams to subscribers because they're not put together. Um, but if you are looking for them, you can find them at that link. And if you want to get notified every time I do anything, you can click on the bell to get those notifications. So when I go live, you will get notified. And if you happen to miss the live stream, uh, clicking on that notification will bring you to the recorded version of it. So there are ways to find that live stream in other places as well. We also have my email list at lon.tv email. I'll start notifying you via that way of upcoming live streams as well. The Facebook page where we upload now a bunch of stuff, including uh, snippets of this show, uh, can be found at lon.tv Facebook. And then we have the Facebook group at lon.tv Facebook group. I think we just hit 400 people on there. So we're having a lot of discussions about some cool techie things on there. So you can join us there, interact with me and your fellow viewers. I'm enjoying that one quite a bit. And we have the store at lon.tv store where I sell things that I previously purchased to review here on the channel that are uh, priced to move. Uh, so if you go to lon.tv store alert, I can email you every time I add something to the store. And I just added the original GPD win to that uh, directory there at a pretty good price, I think. So uh, check it out. And if you don't like a price that you see, make me an offer. Let's, let's haggle a little bit. It's like a tag sale. So don't look at those prices as finite. Uh, you can email me at lon at lon.tv and make a specific offer. Uh, somebody did that just this week, as a matter of fact, and got themselves a good deal. So that's going to do it for this week's weekly wrap-up. Let me know if Mondays are not the best day for the show down in the comments below, or if it is the right day, also let me know in the comments below. Also keep those general questions and comments and suggestions coming my way as well, because all of those things are uh, helping me make the channel better and attracting more viewers to keep us growing. Until next time, this is Lon Sivan. Thanks for watching. This channel is brought to you by the Lon.TV supporters including Gold Level supporters Chris Allegretta, Tom Albrecht, Bill Reiner, and Kalyan Kumar. If you want to help the channel, you can by contributing as little as a dollar a month. Head over to lon.tv support to learn more. And don't forget to subscribe. Visit lon.tv s.